0: Good morning, today's um, reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 to 20. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme.
1: Well, good morning. My name's David Wright. If I haven't met you before, uh, we uh, looked at the first half of 1 Timothy 1 last week and uh, now the second half today. So let me pray and uh, if you have uh, this part of scripture open, I'm sure it'll help make sense of what I'm saying. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a speaking God and that you're concerned to speak and address your people. So please speak to us now. Uh, May your word be alive in our hearts and minds. Amen. I wonder, as you think about the people you know, uh, who would be the person you would say is the least likely to come to faith in Jesus? As you think about all your friends and relatives and all your connections, uh, that person you just think, there's no way, humanly speaking, I could ever see them becoming a Christian. We've just uh, had some uh, holidays and we're visiting relatives as part of that. We're caught up with my aunt and uncle. Uh, My aunt and uncle are lovely people, people. Uncle Peter uh, was a doctor, Auntie Di was a nurse, they've spent their life uh, caring for people, uh, they love their family, uh, they love their golf, uh, they are just exceedingly generous, uh, they are kind and gracious people, and yet God has never really been on the radar for them. Uh, in all the years, uh, the opportunity to have a conversation with them about God uh, has rarely been there. It's just not part of their vocab. I wonder who it is for you. Who's the person who is least likely that you could imagine ever becoming a Christian? Because in today's passage, we meet that person. And it's a bit of a surprise, actually, who that is. It's the Apostle Paul. Have a look there at 1 Timothy 1. Verse 15, please. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the very worst. Now, how can that be? How can Paul say that he is a sinner who needs saving? In fact, that he is the worst of sinners, that he is the person least likely to ever come to faith in Jesus. How can he say that? I mean, after all, this is the great Apostle Paul, you know, planter of churches, writer of half of the New Testament, great theologian. And yet he's saying that he is the one who is the least likely to come to faith, that he is the worst of sinners, that he is, he was the one who needed saving. How can he say that? Well, have a look there at verse 12, please. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul was religious, he was trained as a Pharisee, he knew his scriptures inside out, he was zealous for God. In fact he was so zealous that when this new sect of Jesus' followers emerged on the scene, Paul saw that it was his duty to try and get rid of them, to lock them up, to persecute them. He was zealous for God's honour, and so he was going to take it out on these Jesus people. Paul is well-motivated he knows his scriptures, he would do anything to honour God, we would say that he is religious. And yet at this point, he's looking back and he says, you know what, I was on the wrong track. I'd got it completely wrong, I didn't understand what I was doing. He was wanting to honour God, and yet he was murdering God's people. He was enslaved, he was enslaved to religion. Upright, esteemed loving the scriptures and yet trapped in religion here's the danger for us you can be upright esteemed church going you can tick the box on the census to say yep I'm religious and yet you can be trapped in religion I think about Uh, the guy who taught me Sunday school when I was 13. His name was Bert. He was a man in his 70s at the time. Uh, As a young man, Bert was quite a sportsman. He was an athlete. He uh, won the 440 yards for Wales. He got picked to play rugby for his country. And Bert would say that all his life he was a churchgoer and yet for most of that, he hadn't grabbed hold of what is the heart of Christian faith. We would say... He was religious, and yet he didn't get it. Like Paul, Bert was trapped in religion. I wonder if that's you. There's lots of great things about coming to church, isn't there? Uh, Lots of lovely people to meet. If uh, the pub's not your scene, then church is a great place to be. You can get involved in community, do a lot of good to help people around you. But the danger is that we can still be like Paul. We can be religious, we can be zealous, we can play church and yet still not grasp what is at the centre of Christian faith. So what changed for Paul? Uh, how did things alter? If he was trapped in religion, what, what changed? Well, have a look there at verse, uh, halfway through verse 13 please. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the very worst. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting the kindness and goodness that you do not deserve. And Paul has been given both mercy and grace in Jesus. And to capture the enormity of that, the magnitude of what Jesus has done for him, Paul actually invents words to do it. Uh, See there in verse 14 when it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly. The word abundantly there is literally superabounded. Paul's made that word up. We we might think about um, a word like ginormous, where we think giant and enormous, we put them together to try and capture something that is so big that we have to have a made-up word for it. And that's what Paul's done here. The undeserved kindness of Jesus to Paul, it is uber, super, abundant bursting the bounds of language. Um, it's like standing under Niagara Falls in order just to take a shower. You know How much water do you need to have for, for a shower? But you're given Niagara Falls to have a shower. That's uber super abundant, isn't it? And that's how vast and generous the mercy and grace of Jesus is to Paul. How does Jesus show that sort of grace to Paul? Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, including Paul. That phrase uh, of a trustworthy saying comes up only five times in the New Testament and they're all in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. The idea is the trustworthy sayings are, are short little pithy sayings I like to think of them like the the steel cable that holds a cable car in the air. You think, that, that cable is so thin, and yet the people in the gondola, they are staking their life on it, aren't they? These trustworthy sayings, they're only short and pithy, but they contain a truth that you can stake your life on. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We'll see next, uh, in, in the next chapter, uh, in chapter 2, Paul describes how Christ Jesus saved sinners. He gives his life as a ransom. Jesus has poured out his love, his undeserved mercy and kindness on this religious man who is trying to destroy him. Jesus' love and grace is shown to this person trapped in religion, the one who is the worst of sinners, and he sets him free. Paul couldn't do it himself. Jesus had to break into Paul's life to do it. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, including Paul. Now the question is, why is Paul telling us this? What's the point? Why why is he sharing what happened to him in the past? How's it going to help us? I don't know if you've been watching the tennis. Uh, Last weekend, uh, the Australian, uh, Nick Kyrgios, was playing this French guy, Joe Wilfred Songer. Uh, Kyrgios grew up watching Songer play. Uh, Songer is his hero. And so it was one of those special moments, playing against your hero. Uh, When Kyrgios was growing up, he wanted to be like Songer. He thought... I I could do that. I could be that sort of player. It was the power of example. Why is Paul telling us his story here? Well, it's the power of example. Have a look there at uh, verse 16, please. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Why does Jesus show mercy and grace to Paul? Well, Paul is the example. Paul is the prototype. If Jesus can show mercy and grace to Paul, then he can show it to anyone. If Jesus can forgive the worst of sinners, if Jesus can forgive the one who is persecuting him, who wanted to see the name of Jesus wiped from the face of the earth, then Jesus can forgive anyone. There is nobody beyond the reach of the mercy and grace of Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the trustworthy saying, and this is for us. Paul is telling us this story for our benefit. Paul then rounds out this section by linking what he said back to the situation of the church in Ephesus. Remember last week we said that the church in Ephesus is in danger of getting distracted, and that when people get distracted, things go wrong, and people get hurt. And that's what's going on in the church there. And so Paul says to Timothy, this superabundant grace, this uber abundant grace, needs to stay central for the congregation. Have a look there at verse 18, please. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. There are very few fights worth having in church, but this is the fight worth having the fight to keep God's grace central to the congregation. The tragic thing we read here is that some have shipwrecked their faith. That when God's grace is not central, there is distraction and people get hurt. They shipwreck their faith. So uh, what, what are we meant to make here of Paul saying, He's handed Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan, they'd be taught not to blaspheme. What are we meant to do with that? That's not the sort of language you normally have around the kitchen table, is it? Well, let's try and take the sentence a couple of phrases at a time. To be handed over to Satan. uh, where, Where does Satan rule? Where's he in charge of? Well, it's not the church, is it? Because Jesus is in charge of his church. Satan's realm, his territory, is beyond the church. It's outside the Christian community. So to be handed over to Satan is to be excluded from God's people, to be put outside the Christian community, to be treated as an outsider, as an unbeliever. But why do that? What's Paul saying here? It's in order that they be taught not to blaspheme. To blaspheme is to call what is good evil. And that's what false teaching does. False teaching takes what is good and says, no, no, this is wrong. You're going down the wrong track. It distracts and distorts things. We've already seen in verse 13 that Paul himself was a blasphemer. He was persecuting Jesus and his church. He was saying that Jesus was evil, in fact, when Jesus is good. So let's put that together. Uh, What does it mean to hand someone over to Satan in order that they be taught not to blaspheme? Well, it's the excluding of somebody from Christian community in order that they would learn what, once again, learn what is true and right and good. In other words, it's to discipline them uh, so that they would come to their senses. It's not writing somebody off, uh, that you you consign them to hell forever or something like that. What you're saying is you've gone down a path where you are calling what is good evil and you need to change. You need to come back from that. Well, what have we seen? Paul was once trapped in religion, but Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God has lavished his mercy and grace on Paul. It's niagara falls just to have a shower and paul is telling us his story as an example to show us that god's grace and mercy in christ is for everyone and that that grace is to be central to the life of the congregation so that people wouldn't shipwreck their faith well what are the implications for us Uh, let me pick out three Uh, there's plenty you could say about this passage but let me pick out three Uh, The first implication flows out of just what we're looking at, uh, that God's grace needs to remain central to the congregation. And this is particularly addressed to leaders, isn't it? Uh, We see how important God's grace is, how central it needs to be, because Paul names real people. We said last week that when a congregation gets distracted, things go wrong and people get hurt. And here we have real people. Hymenaeus, Alexander. Uh, And they're taking people down with them. Real people known in the congregation. The people they rub shoulders with. And they've shipwrecked their faith. And that hurts a congregation. That is why leaders must act. They act out of concern for the welfare of the congregation so if you're a leader in this congregation keep God's grace central don't get distracted by false teaching yeah having said that uh, from what I know of this congregation uh, I'm really confident that keeping God's grace central is what's going to happen God's grace was central when this congregation was started uh, you've been well taught over the years. You've got lots of great people. I'm really confident that you will keep God's grace central, so keep doing it. Second implication that comes out of this, this is that this morning, for some of you, it may be that you're not a follower of Jesus. You might be like my Uncle Peter and Aunty Di, uh, Lovely, kind, generous people, and yet God just doesn't get a second thought. Or maybe you might be like my old Sunday school teacher, Bert. Uh, You've been involved in church all your life. uh, You're religious, but you've never grabbed hold of God's grace for yourself. Paul tells us here, he tells us his story, he holds himself up as the prototype so that we would know that God's grace is for us. That if God can save Paul through the mercy and grace of Jesus, he can save anyone. That there is nobody beyond the reach of Jesus' mercy and grace. Now, I don't know all of you uh, here this morning. Uh, I certainly don't know all the skeletons in your closets. But Jesus says to you, whatever life has been like, whatever you've done, Jesus' mercy and grace is available to you. If only you'll grab hold of it. Jesus says, I did it for Paul, the worst of sinners, and so I can do it for you. Perhaps you've never taken that offer up. Perhaps you've never grabbed hold of jesus mercy and grace for yourself today would be a great day to do that what a great way to start the year uh, if you want to talk about it i'd be very happy to chat over morning tea uh, and i'm sure there's other people here who'd love to be able to help be helpful as well last implication uh that comes out of this morning uh I th- I suspect that for the bulk of people here this morning, you are followers of Jesus. You've said, yes, Jesus' mercy and grace is something I've grabbed hold of for myself. Well, this passage shows that that mercy and grace is something to be celebrated and savoured. The content of what Paul says is actually sandwiched between praise and thanksgiving. Did you see there in verse 12? I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 17, the other end of the sandwich. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and God's grace in Christ should lead us to praise and thank him for who he is and what he's done for us. It certainly leads Paul to praise and thanks. So we can pick up on that. See, God's grace is not just a truth to study, but Jesus is to be savoured and celebrated. God's grace is not just a truth to study, but Jesus is the person to savour and celebrate. And one of the things that helps us uh Savor and celebrate god 's mercy is music uh, because we 're whole people uh, God calls on us to respond to him with our whole being uh, to respond to God with our our minds to love him with our minds and our wills and our emotions so uh, that 's why music can be uh, helpful to us because it helps us engage emotionally uh, so Here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework for this week, okay? There's two parts to it. First part is I want you to just find five minutes each day to reread to yourself verses 12 to 17 from today's passage. Read it out loud so you, you hear it and feel the weight of it. Remind yourself of God's grace and mercy to you. So I want you to read verses 12 to 17 for yourself this week. That's the first part. Second part, later on in the week when you've had a chance to be reading verses 12 to 17, I want you to choose a hymn or a song that helps capture your praise and thanks to God for what he has done in his mercy in Christ. Uh, Maybe you're a a hymn sort of person, Uh, you might pick something like, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow or immortal, invisible, God only wise. Uh, maybe you might like something uh, a bit more modern. Uh, you know, one of the songs that we sing here at church on a Sunday. It uh, doesn't really matter. What I want you to do is to take that hymn or song and I want you to crank it up really loud and fill your lungs and sing. See, God's grace and mercy is not just a truth to study, but Jesus is the person to savour and celebrate. And so let's use music to unlock our emotions as we fill our hearts with the truth of God's word. There's your homework. Will you do that? Is that all right? Brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save you. There is nobody beyond his reach. So keep God's grace central to your life together as a congregation and savour and celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save us. And so we celebrate just how merciful and kind and good you have been in such abundance. We praise you. Amen.